Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're going to be continuing a study that we began last week talking about the fruits of atheism. And we used as the basis of our study, Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, when Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. In our study last week, we spent some time and talked about the dangers associated with really divorcing ourselves from what I would call a divine standard, that is, the Word of God. I made mention of the fact that wherever God's Word has gone, cities, states, and nations have been bettered. As a matter of fact, humanity as a whole has prospered. On the other hand, wherever atheism and a godless society exist or has existed, then mayhem follows. I want us to pick up where we left off in our study last week. We were talking, first of all, about the chaos of unbelief and the many problems that ultimately come as a result of choosing a life of unbelief. And we talked about some of the reasons why people are living in unbelief. And then we talked about the consequences of unbelief. And one of the real reasons behind an unbelieving world has been in many respects an acceptance of the theory of evolution. And I talked a little bit about the devaluing of human life, the failure on the part of many people to understand that life is sacred. And we talked about abortion. And then we linked to that murder and violence. I want to just for a moment or two expand a little bit more on this idea of evolution and the theory that has been propagated in recent years. And there are a lot of people that have bought into this theory. And we talk about the violence that is so prevalent in our society. You would think that people could understand and, and see the blessings that can be derived by accepting the fact that there is a God and that there is a divine standard. The flip side of that is numerous consequences come to any people who ignore the will of God. As a matter of fact, we see evidence of that in the world in which we live. I want to go back and talk for just a minute about Adolf Hitler. Because you see, Adolf Hitler was influenced heavily by Charles Darwin. Let me just read for you a statement, and we talk about the influence of evolution and how it is being, how it is being taught as fact to our young people. Not only in the classroom, but I think about television today and how in many of the programming or many of the programs that are being aired, they peddle 
this theory and people buy into it. So I want to read for you an excerpt, an article entitled Darwinism and the Nazi Race Holocaust. It was written November the 1st, 1999 by Dr. Jerry Bergman. And here's what he had to say, and I think that his insight is worth consideration. Of the many factors that produced the Nazi Holocaust and World War II, one of the most important was Darwin's notion that evolutionary progress occurs mainly as a result of the elimination of the weak in the struggle for survival. He said, although it is no easy task to assess the conflicting motives of Hitler and his supporters, Darwinism inspired eugenics clearly played a critical role. Darwinism justified and encouraged the Nazi views on both race and war. If the Nazi party had fully embraced and consistently acted on the belief that all humans were descendants of Adam and Eve and equal before their creator God, as taught in both the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, listen to this, the Holocaust would never have occurred. I think he's right. He went on to say, expunging of the Judeo-Christian doctrine of the divine origin of humans from mainline German or liberal theology and its schools and replacing it with Darwinism openly contributed to the acceptance of social Darwinism that culminated in the tragedy of the Holocaust. He said Darwin's theory as modified by Hackel and Chamberlain and others clearly contributed to the death of over 9 million people in concentration camps and about 40 million other humans in a war that cost about $6 trillion. He said, furthermore, the primary reason that Nazism reached to the extent of the Holocaust was the widespread acceptance of social Darwinism by the scientific and academic community. Now, let me link to that another article entitled, Ideas Have Consequences, and this was written by Kyle Butt, and Kyle Butt is a member of the church. He works for Apologetics Press, and he has some interesting things to say about Adolf Hitler and the influence of evolution. He said, Adolf Hitler claims his rightful place as possibly the most infamous villain of all time. Children of all ages and the adults who teach them History shudder at the deeds done by this criminal mastermind. His vicious atrocities claim the lives of over six million Jews and four million other ethnic groups, such as the Polish, blacks, and gypsies. Gruesome stories of gas chambers, concentration camps, heinous human experiments, heartless starvation, and forced labor are but a few of the mental pictures that come to mind upon hearing the name Hitler. He said one question immediately presents itself to anyone contemplating Hitler's actions. Why? What could allow a man to think that such acts of injustice ever could be justified? Simply put, the answer is the theory of evolution. He said Hitler believed that the German Aryan race 
was superior to all other races. He believed that, his, that this superior Aryan race had the right to exterminate all inferior races. Since, according to evolution, the natural order of things is for the strong to survive. To use the words of Charles Darwin, Hitler viewed his murderous plans as nothing more than the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. He said a serious study of Hitler's life and actions. One can easily show conclusively that the theory of evolution played a major role in his atrocious acts. Now, think about that for a minute. Here you have writers suggesting and documenting the fact that Adolf Hitler embraced evolution. Last week in our study, I was talking about murder and violence. I mentioned Jeffrey Dahmer, a well-known serial killer. And in the context of our study, pointed out that he believed that we were the products of slime, in other words, evolution. And so, to borrow his words in terms of the underlying thoughts behind his behavior, here's what he said. If a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the proof of trying to modify your behavior to keep it with, within acceptable ranges? He said, that's how I thought anyway. He pointed out that in his mind, evolution was truth. He believed that. And so there was no divine standard, no God to govern his behavior or his actions. I want to introduce another article that I think points back to the influence of evolution. On October the 2nd, 2006, on the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric, a segment was introduced, Free Speech. And in this broadcast, she was talking about some atrocities that happened that day. Let me just read for you what is recorded. In introducing the free speech segment of the October 2nd broadcast of the CBS Evening News, anchor Katie Couric noted that because of the school shooting that day in Paradise, Pennsylvania, she said, we've decided to hold the free speech we had planned to bring you. And so she called on a man that had lost his son at Columbine. His son was killed in 1999. His name, that is the father's name, Brian Rorbo. And in the context of their discussion, listen to what he had to say about the shooting that occurred that day and note, if you would, his emphasis on evolution. He said, I'm saddened and shaken by the shooting at an Amish school today and last week's murders, school murders in Bailey, Colorado. He said, when my son Dan was murdered on the sidewalk at Columbine High School on, on April the 20th, 1999, I hope that that would be the last school shooting. He said, since that day, I've tried to answer the question, why did this happen? Now listen, please. 
This country is in a moral freefall. He said for over two generations, the public school system has taught in a moral vacuum, expelling God from the school and from the government, replacing him with evolution, where the strong kill the weak without moral consequences, and life has no inherent value. He said, we teach that there are no absolutes, no right or wrong, and I assure you the murder of innocent children is always wrong, including abortion. He said, abortion has diminished the value of children. Suicide has become an acceptable action and has further emboldened these criminals. We're seeing an epidemic increase in murder-suicide attacks on our children. He said, sadly, our schools are not safe. In fact, we are now... We now witness that within our schools, our children have become a target of terrorists from the United States. So what's the common bond? What's the common link? One word, evolution. I mentioned last week in our study, Jeffrey Dahmer, I introduced the tragedy at Columbine and other tragedies that you can read about that have occurred in our country since then. Lots of people engage in heinous activities. They take the lives of other people because in many respects, they do not value human life. Look, look at our city. And I want you to think about not, not just young people, but older adults that have no problem taking the life or lives of human beings. Why is that? Why is it that we live in a culture where there is a diminished value of human life? Now, I mentioned a moment ago Adolf Hitler and the influences behind the atrocities that occurred in Germany. Isn't it somewhat hypocritical for our nation to look back and write about those atrocities and talk about the heinous actions that occurred at the hands of Hitler? And then, as I pointed out, in this country alone, there have been 57 million abortions since 1973, when I read scripture, I come to understand that there is a God in heaven. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 1, verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made man in his own image and likeness. The Bible tells us that God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. We are on a plane higher than the animal kingdom. But sadly, in many respects, we don't act like it. And so you have young people that are being taught evolution. You have older people that have bought into this theory. So they don't have a problem taking human life. They don't have a problem supporting abortion. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that God is the father of that spirit that resides within you? 
Every human being has an eternal soul. That's what distinguishes us from the animal world. So we are human beings made in the image and the likeness of God. Let's talk for just a minute about the problem of euthanasia, mercy killing. And as we have just witnessed, doctor-assisted suicide. Just a few days ago, there was a young lady by the name of Brittany Maynard, 29 years of age, and she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. She had brain cancer. The prognosis was not good. She had a limited time following, I think following the diagnosis, she lived maybe 10, 10 months. The doctor said that her death would have been extremely painful. And so she chose to take her own life because, to use her word, she wanted to die with dignity. A lot of questions. Do we have the right? Do I have the right to take my own life? Well, if I believe what the Bible teaches, then I understand that human life is sacred in the eyes of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, the Bible talks about death. And the Bible says that at death, the spirit returns to God who gave it. I am the product of an almighty God. God is the father of my spirit as well as yours. I do not have the right to terminate my life, nor do I have the right to terminate or assist in the termination of anyone else's life. Why is that? Because life is sacred. And because life is a gift from God. To terminate my life or the life of any other person would be murder, would it not? And what did the Apostle Paul say about murder? In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. The Bible tells us that murderers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what about, what about this whole idea of somehow alleviating the pain and the suffering and maybe the indignity of dying a terrible death? Well, you can go back and read in the Scriptures of people that lived long lives. Abraham, for example, lived a long, long life. He was a man that reached old age. And I don't know what kind of infirmities and difficulties he may have had, but I know this. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Two things here. Number one, life is brief. 
And number two, Job said that life is often accompanied by what? By troubles. Now we live in a world today that is not immune to sickness, disease, and a lot of other problems. Just because I'm a child of God does not make me immune to trouble or trial. As a matter of fact, if anything, it may bring more troubles and trials. But here's the point. As a child of God, as somebody who respects the scriptures, I have to understand that God is the one that gave me life. And I don't have the right to take that life. No one has that right. Could it be that I, that I like maybe you, will one day be diagnosed with a terminal illness or an illness that is accompanied by suffering and pain and a lot of heartache, well, that's a possibility. But you see, that's the world in which we live. And the cause is what? Sin. Go back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan deceived Eve and Adam in the garden, Death made its entrance into the world. Not only was death introduced to the human family, but pain and suffering. If anything, there has been a proliferation of pain and suffering and difficulties. As a matter of fact, the difficulties and the pains of life have been imposed upon everyone. Can I learn from pain and suffering? Yes. Are there byproducts to... To suffering in this life, well, there are. A couple of things come to mind. Number one, I realized that this body was not built to last here upon this earth. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And note, if you would, what Solomon has to say about the aging process. If you live long enough, your body will what? It will diminish in strength and stature. It's a part of life, accompanied by what? Aches and pains. Again, it's a part of life. So we, I mean, we live in a world in which a lot of people suffer. None of us are immune to that. Can we die with dignity? Yes. Think, think for a minute about a Christian. You know, the Hebrew writer said, speaking of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, what about when I become disabled or I am in the throes of some terminal illness or other disease? Is it not the case that God will be with me? What about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talked about that thorn in the flesh and he pleaded with God three times he asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. I understand that this body's not built to last. And so I've got to look for life beyond this veil of tears. And secondly, when I face the sufferings and the trials of this life, what does it do? It helps me to see clearly that I need to put my trust in God. Because Paul said, speaking 
on behalf of God when he penned this. The Lord said, my strength is made perfect in suffering. So as I face debilitating diseases and illnesses in this life, one of the things that it, it does is it causes me to look upward, to recognize that I need God day in and day out. Now, if God's going to be with me in this life, will he stand by me when I come to the end of this life here upon this earth? The answer is yes. I remember a little over a year ago, Brother George and I had the opportunity to stand at the foot of the bed of Sister Payne. Her family crowded around her in, in that little bedroom. And Sister Payne asked at least two or three different times, let's pray, let's pray. Did Sister Payne realize the end was near? Had she been suffering? Had she had a lot of pain and discomfort in life? Yes. But let me tell you what, as a child of God who is coming to the close of her physical tenure here upon this earth, she died with dignity. And the same God that stood by her from day one until the last day, that same God was with her. And here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 4. He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he said, You're with me. I may have to suffer an awful, debilitating end here upon this earth. But I believe with all of my heart that there is a God in heaven who will stand by me. And I believe that there is a God in heaven who will walk with me to the next life, to the next world. So, I don't have the right to take life. Let me just read for you. Turn back with me for just a moment and look at Genesis chapter 9. I mentioned the fact that God is the creator of the human family. In Genesis chapter 9 at verse 6, there's an interesting passage of Scripture. And I think it fits in well with what we're talking about. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, here's what Moses said. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God made us, didn't he? And so we are accountable to Almighty God. That life that comes from God, that was made in the image of God, is sacred, is valuable, deemed of utmost importance in the eyes of Almighty God. And then I think about Genesis, or rather, I think about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. When he stood on Mars Hill and preached to a city of people whose lives had been caught up in idolatry. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, the Bible says that when Paul got to Athens, his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And so the apostle Paul reasoned with those people about the one true living God. And he said that God is the one who is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. 
He pointed out in that context that we are the offspring of God, that it is in Him that we live and move and have our very being. So, what about human life? Do I have the right to take my life? No. Why? Because that would be murder. Well, what about assisting someone who's had enough of this life? Well, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, that we're not to be a partaker of other men's sins. There's another thing that I want to just very quickly share with you. We talk about the fruits of atheism and some of the causes, the causes and the effects. There's another problem that we face. It's called hedonism. And it is a byproduct of atheism. It has been defined as the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole or chief good in life, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Now, if you want to know what hedonism is all about, it's about pleasure. And again, you go back to Acts chapter 17, and you can read about some people that were caught up in this lifestyle. They were the Epicureans. When Paul was in Athens, he spoke and reasoned with the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Stoics believed everything, everything was governed by fate. The Epicureans, their idea was you maximize pleasure and you minimize pain. So how does that affect our, our world today, our society? Well, first of all, the Epicureans and the Stoics in Acts chapter 17, they didn't believe in God, nor did they believe in the resurrection from the dead. Now think about this. If there is no God, there is no resurrection, there is no such thing as a divine standard, then why not, as Paul argued in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. I mean, think about that. If there's no God, do as you please. Live as you want. I think a good example of this is found in Luke chapter 12. You remember Jesus taught a parable about a rich farmer whose barns were overflowing. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And he said, there will I bestow all of my fruits and goods. And then I'll say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the problem, though. The Lord said, your soul is required. In other words, death is knocking on your doorstep. He was rich in the things of the world, but he didn't have a relationship with God. There are a lot of people that have embraced this lifestyle. Eat, drink, be merry, do what you want. I mean, after all, there's no God. There's no afterlife. The Word of God, you can write that off. It is, for lack of a better way to say it, a playboy lifestyle. Now, you look at our, look at our society and look at the number of people who are caught up in illicit sexual relationships 
And then add to that the number of people that use alcohol on a regular basis. They engage in recreational drug usage. They have become materialist to the core. Their lives are all about money and the things of this world. It's all about them and it's all about pleasure. I don't think any of us would argue the fact that God is interested in our happiness. He wants us to enjoy life. He's the giver of it. But not at the expense of our soul. The problem is sometimes people get so caught up in the affairs of this world and this whole concept of pleasure, they lose sight of God. You remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4? He talked about the last days, that is the Christian age. And he said there would be some people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Very quickly, one other thing I want to add. The fruits of atheism. In our society, we have been sold a bill of goods that's false to the core regarding evolution. Here's one of the dangers, though. And this is a little byproduct of what we're talking about. There are a lot of people in our society, they believe in God. Oh, they'll tell you, there's a God in heaven. And they'll tell you they believe in the Word of God. But here's the problem. They live as if there is no God. We have people like that in the church. They will defend to death their belief in Almighty God, the one true living God. They'll tell you they believe what the Bible teaches about the church, about salvation, about the peace of God, and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Here's the problem, though. They don't live the Christian life. It's not a, it's not a part of them. It hasn't been woven into the fabric of their lives. In many respects, there are people that are living out the words of Paul in Romans 3, verse 18, when he said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Let's live as if there is no God. Oh, I believe in God, but I just don't care to live the Christian life. It's a dangerous lifestyle. And the consequences are enormous. We've got to close now. And very quickly, let me just say this in closing. What's the cure? of unbelief. I think there are two things that we need to do. Number one, we need to encourage an investigation of creation and revelation. You step outside this building, you can tell there is a God. It doesn't take a PhD from Harvard to understand there is a designer behind the design of this universe. Recently I've been passing by homes that are being built and they have all of the, the components that will make a house on a piece of ground. The only way that house is going to be built is for individuals to put that thing together. The very idea that there's no God and that this world is chance doesn't make a lick of sense. So we encourage an investigation of creation 
Remember what the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. And then we encourage an investigation of revelation. We need to get people to go back and begin reading and studying this book. We've got to tell people, we've got to say, look, before you wave this, this book off and before you buy into this theory of evolution and some of this other nonsense that's out there, you better put this book to the test. Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This book is inspired of God. Truth has nothing to fear. I would encourage anyone, you, you raise a hood on this book and you investigate it from cover to cover, and I promise you, you will be led to a belief that this book is of divine origin. It can be no other way. So there is the encouragement of an investigation. And then, secondly, there has to be a proclamation. We've got to stand up and in a very candid, kind, and loving way say, you know what? This stuff about unbelief, this idea that there is no God, it's just not so. We have to encourage people in our country to realize the benefits and the blessings associated with God and His Word. When I look back over the years and I see the blessings that so many people enjoyed because of their belief in God, the blessings that were so well known and documented in this country. And I look at where we are today, the fact that we have expunged God from the classroom and courthouse and government, etc., Look at the problems. Now you tell me, does unbelief breed chaos? The answer is yes. Are there consequences? Again, the answer is yes. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love and care for us. We're thankful for the fact that you are God and that you are an eternal God. We pray that you would bless us as we strive to make you known in this community and in this world. Help us to overturn the hearts of unbelief and lead them to an understanding and belief in Jesus Christ, your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And based upon that great belief, willingly turn from a life of sin, confess the sweet name of Christ, and be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. In so doing, the Bible tells us your sins will be washed away and God will add you to the church. If you're unfaithful to his cause, could I plead with you, could I encourage you to come home tonight? Paul said today's the day of salvation. Don't leave here. In your life of being a mess, come home as we stand and sing.